All right, Mike, we're back again. It's 2021. We can put the bad year behind us, right? And time to go hopefully start playing some tabletop at some point this year. I mean, that, that'd be nice. I'll definitely uh, say that. Though, I, I I don't know. I'm hearing it might be uh, a sequel. Um, Done with the prologue, now into the main course. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's fit, keep our fingers crossed that's not the case. Yeah. Because I'm definitely itching to get back to to actually gaming again. Yep. I'm right there with you. So to keep us tied up here for a little bit, um, Games Workshop ship a bunch of updates uh, right at the beginning of the year here, uh, where basically the <laughs> they, uh, they've updated <clears throat> a whole lot of stuff, a whole bunch of codexes, points, new points have been released. Um, they've got clarifications. They've got scoring changes. So... There's a lot for us to kind of cover, uh, but I figured why don't we start with just points uh, out of the gate. Um, we were chatting a little bit just before we started here, and it sounds like uh, maybe just one model or one unit probably is all that really received any kind of change for Thousand Suns. Yeah, I mean, just going off of uh, eyeballing it, I suppose, uh, the Thousand Suns are largely unchanged by the Munitorum Field Manual points changes uh the hellbrute got 10 more points expensive uh, which the hellbrute has actually been uh overperforming for a lot of people i think and this might be a, a response to that yeah uh, but overall actually, i actually i like the uh changes to the field manual mostly in that it simplifies list writing um to a sort of an earlier time in 40k where effectively a model comes with a base loadout. You buy that base loadout for a set number of points and then modifications to the loadout um, are what are done after the fact um, mm -hmm. are subjective to what the upgrades are and what the model is. Yeah. And so, kind of thinking of it like upgrades rather than, you know, downgrades for that, for that matter. Cause looking across the board at thousand suns, units there aren't any that i can really see where um it's actually cheaper if you t if you change things out from what it initially comes loaded with and that makes sense because they probably take whatever the cheapest option is there as the you know this is your initial base model um and and it makes sense that if you were to think about changes that you make to it would generally be upgrades in nature yeah um but I think a lot of this is also sort of with the first codex of 2021 being on the verge of coming out and us having two codexes as far as two actual codexes, not supplements under our belt. Uh, sort of applying the same points model to everyone that they have in the new codexes will make the transition into the new edition a little easier. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think this is just them making sort of some quality of life features uh, that don't cost them much to do and makes it much nicer for us to write lists. Yeah. The only other things I see that are good for them to kind of, I guess, clarify a bit. Uh, it's very clear now that the exalted sorcerer also gets a power sword. Uh, so the option to take the four sword and the power sword uh, very clearly becoming options there. Um, yeah. Other than that, pretty much doesn't look like there's anything that really changes too much across the board. Yeah. Uh, it seems pretty, 
pretty straightforward. You know, Terminator stayed 30 points a model. Rubric stayed the same. No, no surprises there, honestly. I mean, there's no reason for them to really change all that much until we get to codex time. And a lot of that then just depends on, you know, what they decide to do with the unit and the army and everything relative. So, yeah, there was um, one thing that the, uh, some a question, I suppose, that came up with the new rule points formatting. Um, there are several weapon options uh, for these units that aren't included uh, here. For instance, uh, the Defiler Battle Cannon is obviously not listed. Mm-hmm. The uh, Hellbrute Missile Launcher or the Power Scourges aren't listed. Um, and I, I believe what's going on with that is that those options roughly cost the same amount of points as a power fist already and so they didn't include those as a points entry because those are considered side grades there is no points difference between the base loadout and the modified loadout yeah so it's kind of like with the land raider where you have the las cannons they've always been something that you can't swap out so you know, if you look at the profile for the Land Raider, it doesn't show the last cannons in there for upgrades. So you're, what you're basically doing is just saying, okay, those are those are either things that you can interchange for free, or, you know, it's just part of the core model that you get, or the code core loadout for it. Exactly. Well, there was there was more that was updated too. Uh, we've got, I guess, the next best thing for us to jump into is the Grand um, Tournament Mission Pack for 2020. Uh, that was basically eroded with a bunch of stuff in there. Rather than than them releasing a whole new mission pack, they've given us a whole bunch of updates, and we'll just get right straight to the biggest one, um, and that was to abort the witch. Uh, basically, they've reduced the scoring on this. Uh, to the point where you only get two points now for each uh, Psyker character that's destroyed. And uh, you get, or sorry, it's three per Psyker character and yeah. two for Psyker units. And that's a that's a significant downgrade because if you think about it, to get max points out of that, you're talking you'd have to either kill five characters or two characters and three, uh, three units, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even more than that, maybe five yeah, you're talking five regular units to get to 10, and then you're talking at least one to one and a half characters, I guess, to get you to 15 there. So that makes a huge difference in the total number of units that they would have to kill. You're talking late in the game, yeah, they could they can still score max points against you, but it's not going to be the kind of thing where it's you're all of a sudden in such a deep hole, and that's, you know, if you happen to, you know, get, get ahead or, or um, I guess... The way the scoring works, you can eliminate their army and still still be losing for the most part from from a point standpoint. So um, it kind of takes a little bit of that edge off, I think. Yeah, and uh, people have been complaining about the uh, <clears throat> that particular secondary for a while mm-hmm. uh, on account of well, thousand suns and gray knights. Every single unit in your army will provide points for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not good game balance. And so I it's think adjustment it, will help considerably. It's still a problem, though, uh, in my opinion. Uh, the fact that you, the way you phrase it is perfectly uh, said, where I can pretty much just say, if I kill a unit in your army, I get two points. Yeah. 
and versus any other secondary there is, that's kind of, you know, unfair, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's it's still just something that they've toned down, but I don't think is to the point where it's really going to, I don't think this thing lasts very long. I think this kind of, just kind of holds us over a little bit until they release the next mission pack. But yeah. You know, looking across the board, they had they had some other stuff that they changed too. I think the next big thing, um, probably worth mentioning, is the fact that now in the fifth battle round, um, player the player who went second uh, basically doesn't score at the end of the turn; they score at the end of their turn uh, or the um, end of the command phase, right? Yeah. So previously, well, so current. So you score points for objectives at the end of your command phase. So normally going first, that's very right. beneficial because you're, well, going first is always beneficial because you get the alpha strike and yeah. you really have control of the game. So what they've done is now at the end of turn five, the person going second, instead of scoring during their command phase, is scored at the end of the turn. So that way you can do last-minute objective grabs, get um, to ver- actions, things like that. Right. Um, and sort of give people going second to leg up. Um, yeah, it kind of balances out that whole go-first uh, problem that's existed in the game since basically the launch of Ninth. Um, it's been documented pretty well. So it's yeah. it's kind of like a way of doing like an inverse first turn for the player going second. It gives them the ability to use that turn as a way to kind of wrap up and score there at the end. Yeah. Um, and so that's a... It's a very big benefit, I think. Uh, only time will tell if it's, see if it's actually sufficient to... Um, actually sort of balance the scales but i think it is definitely another step in the right direction um the uh other big thing that they changed in my opinion is the uh determining who goes first um they've changed it to now if the player who wins the roll off they go first there's no none of this well i do want to go first or i don't want to go first now it's just a black and white that you do or you don't yeah not a big deal it just kind of it just kind of makes it a a binary option now you know yeah well the the, the reason why i say it's a it's sort of important though is that there are some armies that they are fairly rare that uh against certain matchups they do want to go second and so um, this removes the ability to uh, sort of adjust adjust that yeah, I guess if I were to put it put it another way, um, if you win the role basically before, you had the choice of whether you wanted to go first or second, which meant one player basically had the ability to know or or, or to play the first turn, set up the you know with either redeployments or whatever, knowing you know okay I'm going to go first yeah. um, versus or maybe I've set up in a way that hey I want to go first so I will go first or. They could set up to go second, but then if they if they win, they can decide to go first, and they can still go and take the advantage and take objectives. Maybe that's a better way of putting it, uh, where they actually get to choose which one they were going to do. Where now it's basically just look if you if you win the role, you're going first, and that's that. Um, yeah. And there is no it kind of takes that decision away from a player being able to do what would be maybe preferentially better for them in that situation. Yep. So, 
Um, they also uh, adjusted Bring It Down, uh, <clears throat> yeah. which is a fairly important change um, in that there's a little more granularity here. Not all vehicles are worth the same number of points. Um, right. Which makes certain lists more viable in a lot of ways. Because um, if you were taking a vehicle with wounds 10 or less, it's only worth one. Wounds 11 to 19 is worth two. And then anything higher, so like knights mostly, are Mm going to be worth three. So that gives you what? Um, You bring Magnus. That gives him, let's assume you bring him, he's not your warlord. That's what, two points for Magnus? Yes. Um, but so like uh, rhinos currently, uh, well, before this, they were worth, uh, I want to say two points for each rhino killed. Uh, now that's, they're only worth one. Hellbirds are only worth one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so bring it down, I think is, uh, you only really will see it now taken against two types of armies, Nidzilla, which I don't think anyone actually plays anymore. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, guard tank lists which i don't know that there's a lot of people playing guard right now either well yeah <laughs> join the club guys yep well aside from that there weren't I, I think there were some clarifications around some of the rare rules um i i don't think there's anything that's really too significant or applies in a lot of cases to thousand suns um you know, there's there's a lot of clarification around transports and disembarking. Um, you know, some of the stuff around. I think they're one of the things that there was around um, open top transports. Uh, there was this vagary around whether you could use stratagems on on units that get the fire from open top transports, and they've made it very clear that you cannot. Yeah, same uh, thing so, goes to uh, for uh, auras. Yeah. So those are all things that. You know, you can take the time, you can go through the the mission pack um, and, and see all the different updates. I do really appreciate the um, the detail that they have in terms of highlighting what's changed. I wish they would do that with point changes in the field manual. I You know, why they do that for rules writing and not for point changes, I don't know. But it would really help a lot of people just digest what's happening with the point changes a lot easier than just here's a fire hose of lots of points. Go ahead and figure out what's changed when they know what's changed. Yeah. But, you know. Though I do have a counterpoint to that. Yeah. Actually. Uh, so the only instance where they will not highlight things in blue is if everything has changed. Right, but wouldn't they have a? They'll have a blue item. Well, okay, you're saying the entire FAQ. Yeah, yeah. Changed. So if the yeah. entire if the entire document is changed, then they won't highlight it in blue. And that's uh, the only the only time that happens is when you have a brand new FAQ that drops, and yeah, it's yeah. very obvious so at that point. This is the the first FAQ for this particular book, right? And that's why they didn't highlight anything in blue, right? And I want to say almost every model in every codex in the game, except for the brand spanking new ones, have gotten adjustments here. Well, they never really highlight in their points updates the actual changes. So traditionally what they've done from a point change standpoint is they'll release a book with it, right? And 
you still have to basically put a spreadsheet together and do comparisons of, well, here's what it cost before and here's what it costs now and put some formulas in there to just kind of show you how much the point changes are. And then voila, you have, you have kind of like a, a visibility map or a heat map of here's where the changes happened. Um, and that still takes your time to go do that. Whereas yeah. if they are if they are releasing an update like this in this you know specifically in this style now going forward, it would be great if what they do is they say, hey, okay, we've adjusted these points. Here's the adjustment to those points, and you would see, say, let's say they raise Rubric Marines by two points a model. Well, you'd see in the Rubric Marine area, you'd see that blue, you'd see that section blue or something like that, saying, hey, we've changed the points for this model. Yeah. So. But one can dream. I'd rather have them continue to just work on the uh, the releases that are out there and or the that are needed for armies and <laughs> keep getting that new content out. But uh, shifting gears here, so that kind of covers the mission pack. We've covered the core rulebook. Uh, well, getting into the core rulebook, I guess. Uh, I, M Mike, I don't understand, and uh, they've got an update in here. And I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot with this thing, but um, they're talking about reinforcement units and engagement range. And the thing I don't get looking at this is that they've got this big, weird clarification where they basically explain how you could actually get to an eight inch charge from a yes. deployment if a, if, a, if a group of models are in a building. Um, and I think it's based on the fact that um, the way... The way they're they're measuring this, I, I I guess I just don't understand the whole math behind this thing. So maybe yeah, yeah. you can explain it to okay. me. Okay, so it comes back to how you determine distances with right triangles. So uh, if they actually included an infographic here, which I think is incredibly useful. So a unit comes down uh, from deep strike. Uh, they must be at least nine inches away from the closest enemy unit. Uh, so that nine inches, that's your hypotenuse. Yep. So now for the reason why this is important for uh, buildings is the uh, engagement range vertically is distance in the engagement range for horizontal combat. Gotcha. And so your distance to the vehicle to, to the building into engagement range is going to be less than nine inches um, gotcha. as a result of that. So what they're saying here is that for purposes of your must be nine inches away, that's nine inches measured absolutely from base to base, taking elevation into account. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer, um, I think in some previous editions you had to, you measure your horizontal distance than your vertical distance. This is doing it sort of an older way. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a good clarification uh, because this is, sort of flies against um, sort of what had become the common sort of wisdom as to how this worked. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, according to this, as long as you're got, <laughs> you uh, can get. I'll charge a unit that's on the building. You can do a shorter charge. Yeah, so that's basically going to... everybody. <laughs> everybody's now going to be looking at this when you put models 
it's now basically going to be known that if you put models up on a on the first terrain level, um, you're basically giving everybody else one inch less charge to get to you um, as like a disadvantage for being in there. If I'm if I'm hearing you right. Yeah. Um, now, it is important that you still have to be able to place a model like an engagement range. Mm -hmm. um, so if you do like the old trick of like completely blocking off a level of a building, they still can't charge you if I'm recalling the rules correctly because you can't stop me climbing. Mm -hmm. But you really only need to be able to get within what? Eight because the engagement range is... I believe well, to be able to get up the up the wall, so you're you're basically measuring. See, this is the part that confused me about this whole thing because it, it's three sides of a triangle. You're measuring nine inches away using the longest part of the triangle, mm -hmm. but then the other two, you know, by rules of geometry, the other two must be greater than the the third amount there, which or added together, which means that even if I'm nine inches away measuring to the edge of the building and then up puts me at a longer distance than nine. Yeah. Well, so the problem is that the engagement range for buildings isn't one inch, it's five inches. So you're discounted to level. So they're up, they're up on that. So you still have to add that though, to get up to that next level though. Right. I do not believe so. I so what you're saying is it's, it's essentially I I have a five inch I I basically get five inches of free movement. Well, it's not actual movement. It's engaged. So a model is engaged whenever you're within uh, the engagement range, mm -hmm. and so engagement range across levels is different. I'm trying to find it. No, I think this is the wrong book. So they would end, is it a matter of they would end within a engagement range, but then not within one inch of the, of the models themselves. Yes, I believe that's. And then you would have to be able to use your pile in to get within one inch to swing at them. Or are you only having to get to engagement range to swing at them? I believe you can swing when, as long as you're in engagement. So if engagement range is five inches, then that seems like I would not even, I don't even have to get to the bottom of the, 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 or the, what do you call it? I could basically get within the bottom of the building and swing up at the guys on the next floor, right? If that's engagement range. Yeah. So engagement range is one inch horizontally plus five inches vertically, um, according to the core rules. So while you're within engagement range, you are locked in combat. Got it. So you're so if I'm following you here, yeah. So you basically just need to be able to charge to get underneath them. So let's say you Correct. roll an eight-inch charge. That's enough to get basically at least a model into the building on the bottom floor, and they're they're up on the second floor. So the part I'm trying to overcome is what you were saying about the fact that they can block off an entire level that's up there. Well, if engagement range is five inches vertically, and they're within five inches vertically that way, and I just need to get to the bottom floor, I don't have to get up onto that floor to fight them. Yeah, Am I following that right? Here. Just a moment. 
Okay, uh, correct. Uh, you can actually spring up above, uh, as long as you're in engagement range. Mm-hmm. So um, any model that's within engagement range, which again, as we've covered, is within one inch horizontally and five inches vertically, and every model within half an inch of a model that's in within engagement range. So then there would be no way for you to really block them out from getting to you, more right. or less. So, so in essence, it's kind of one of those things where it wasn't something that I think a lot of people really thought about. Mm-hmm. until they put this rare rule in there. I think the problem we're going to see is that now everybody knows about this rule, which means they know that if I'm up on a if I'm up on a platform, I'm giving up an inch of charge range. I'm basically giving anything plus 1 inch to charge or plus 1 to their charge against me um mm-hmm. from from being up there. Um well, and that's kind of an interesting thing if you think about it. Not necessarily though, cuz if the terrain has the um keyword that slows down your movement well that's fair that that's fair but you you, there's plenty of units in the game that actually ignore that too especially the new nurgle stuff that's coming out i would imagine there's going to be other stuff that'll have similar features to them where they can just ignore charging charging penalties or things like that so but in, in essence you get the ability to you know if i was deploying a unit into a building I now have it in my head that it's going to give anything trying to charge me plus one to their charge. If they can come in within that max minimum or sorry, minimum distance of nine inches or whatever from, from where they are up there. So kind of an interesting thing. Um, But yeah. Uh, Psychic actions. Let's jump to that real quick. Uh, This has been something that right now is kind of in debate mode. Um, there's plenty of good arguments on either side of this thing. So what they've basically done is they've basically said that psychic actions for all intents and purposes, uh, when they are attempting, when a unit's attempting to manifest a psychic action, we basically need to treat that action like it's a psychic power. Um, and they've been very clear here that, um, it triggers any rules that interact with manifesting a psychic power. Um, but the problem is, what rules I think is what a lot of people are trying to kind of sift through. So for example, thousand sons have tons of stuff that gives you plus one to your cast. Does that mean that plus one to that cast now applies to a psychic action as well? Because it's a, a result or a psychic role that you're, you're doing. Um, I don't know. And you could probably make the case that it's not a psychic power that you're rolling for, but the fact that it triggers rules for psychic powers, just like they would be psychic powers, uh, it kind of leaves you in the air saying, well, it's not a psychic power, so it's not actually attempting to manifest a psychic power. So you're not going to get the plus one to manifesting a psychic power. However, on the flip side, it's triggered, right? It, it says you treat those rules that they apply just the same as if they would to a psychic power. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that's kind of weird. Now, if you want another uh, even better example, um, you have the ability to do the plus two to cast on your next psychic power, right? So if a psychic action triggers psychic uh, rules and abilities that just like they would with psychic powers, well, now you have the same thing where this debate over, can I use a stratagem on this, even though it's not a psychic power? Well, you can use something in Thousand Suns that doesn't trigger on using that on actually a a psychic power it you use it 
before you even cast anything. So you would use it and then you would just say, okay, I'm going to do the psychic action. And then that would trigger it because it's, it triggers as the next psychic power. So, um, and then finally you have like the world eaters stratagem, which basically says you can on a four plus you deny, deny a psychic power. Well, does that count towards a psychic action or not? Um, I think it's kind of hard here because it's, it's getting the waters are getting muddied by what people's interpretations of the rule is and what i think personally my own opinion on this thing is that gw's intent with this rule is to basically say treat psychic actions just like psychic powers for the terms of whether you're rolling on it denying it any of that stuff so things like the world eater stratagem yes you could use that on it and things like getting plus one to cast or plus two to cast or plus whatever you can you know juice them up to with thousand suns yes it would be the same thing there um and their whole intent here is to just make it so that the only difference is it doesn't actually have an action in the game it's just you trying to score points with that instead M mike what do you think I'm inclined to agree. I think that um, the intent here should be fairly clear. If you so, it's treated as if you were attempting to manifest psychic power. So, for instance, the Kabbalistic focus stratagem says whenever you are manifesting the psychic power, <laughs> you can add two um, as long as you meet the other requirements. Um, the same as you can attempt to deny. Um, and so there are stratagems that allow you to deny. So I think that the intent here should be fairly clear. Um, obviously, I, I know that there are people who disagree, but then for once, David and I uh, <laughs> agree on this uh, particular uh, interpretation. Well, we, there's one other thing in there that I know is also circulated, and that's um, psychic ritual specifically. And that's one of the psychic actions you can take. I think this is one of those cases where I do think it does vary. Um, and it's because of the, the wording on the psychic action itself says you need to be within six inches of the center of the board um, in order to attempt to manifest it. So what I don't – this is the one thing I guess – Maybe I don't disagree with it, but I do think that it's one of those things that is in a questionable area where I could see it being, okay, they intended all these rules to interact with it, but what they re they didn't intend for this one thing to behave correct, to interact with it. Uh, the Thousand Suns extra range to things like that. And I think this is a case where you could say, yeah, you definitely should be within six inches when you try to manifest uh, the psychic action. And I don't think that you get that extra six inches to the range of your um, to the range of being able to be within six inches or whatever. Um, Correct. I'm, I'm sure off the top of my head, there's a good example somewhere as a, like a relative analogy you could use with another rule, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah. It's a, well, to use their vernacular, it's a rare rules interaction. Yeah. Um, that I, I don't, think that there's i guess eldar have a strategy that lets them double the range of psychic power or something like that mm -hmm. maybe it's the warlock conclave i don't remember but uh yeah I, I don't think that that's intended to stack like that 
Yeah, because it's not really the range of the psychic action. It's the range of where you need to be in order to do the psychic action. Correct. You know what I mean? So. All right. Um, without really a conclusion on that thing, that's just kind of the it's uh, kind of where that thing stands. Hopefully GW decides to come out with a clarification to this. Um, obviously I've taken time to email them. I encourage you guys to take time to email them and ask them about it. Hopefully enough emails to them and they'll, they'll kind of get the sense that, Hey, there's some clarification that needs to be made here. But um, I haven't, obviously I haven't heard anything from them and I hope, I hope that maybe in the next uh, month or two, we see something there. Um, yeah. They, they did but, clarify one of the thing that does affect us. If for whatever reason your deployment zone is very tiny, or you just brought a ton of goats or cultists, uh, <laughs> and you want to deploy Magnus, yep. his wings are now allowed to overhang the edge of the battlefield. Yes. As long as his base is entirely on the battlefield. Yes. And they even apply similar logic to in, um, disembarking from transports, I think. Uh, it, it seems is. like there was kind of like a. a a series of issues that came up with basically putting models onto the table um, that had large bases or things that would basically go beyond the rule of say three inches. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I can't really think of too many off the top of my head, but basically what they, they say is um, you have to place it within one inch, uh, basically place it as close as you can is what they're saying. Um, but you can place it there. It's not destroyed. It's just, it's too big to place within the realm of the, the way the rules are written. Yeah, I, I can think of one example. It's something that I don't think we can do, but vehicles that can transport dreadnoughts. If well, that, I was thinking about that. If Leviathan dreadnought inside like a drop pod or uh, yeah. something, uh, they, they have a pretty big base. Well, I was thinking about that. The base, though, is not... I mean, I have a Hellbrew sitting right next to me here, and it's not bigger than three inches. I think the whole thing is is it's got to be placed within one inch of the of wherever it, wherever the vehicle yeah. is and then go from there. Um, I guess the... I guess the way the whole... You know, when I like to think of this, I think about, like, rhinos, right? Uh -huh. And I think about you surrounding my rhino with a bunch of stuff. And you've killed my rhino in close combat, and I go to disembark or emergency disembark, whatever that's there. Now, I guess the question is, in this case where it's a large unit, like let's say I'm, I'm just throwing a hypothetical that I can have a hellbrute in a in a rhino. Um, you kill the rhino, and I have to disembark the hellbrute, um, and there's no place for me to put the hellbrute um within three or within one inch of the of the model i think at that point it's destroyed uh it, it has Correct. to have a place you can put it that's within one inch of the of the model and not within engagement range of anything that's attacking it mm -hmm. so it, it's not like it's it's not like it's uh resolving or giving you a huge advantage here it's more like a clarification like hey i blew up your storm eagle you have to be within three inch or within three inches of the base, but my base sticks out further than three inches. So, what do I do? So, yeah. I think that's really what it's tackling. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I I don't know that there's too much more. I mean, they've they've got tons of different updates in here to the core rule book. We could probably get bogged down in a whole bunch of this stuff, but yeah. that's not really exciting. Um, 
I, I did so like a like a, a best of uh, just a, from the scatterings from some of the other FAQs. Uh, they did several clarifications regarding um, uh, stratagems and abilities that get back more than one command point per battle round. Um, and the cases where, like for instance, the the Terranid stratagem, feeder tendrils, and uh, the player of Twilight command trait for uh, Harlequins, uh, they specified that those do allow you to get back more than one per turn. Um, they made some points adjustments to some of the new Canoptic stuff. Um, I think that those were priced a little high for what they did. Uh, I think everyone can really agree with that. And uh, yeah, that, that's it. That's yeah, it. they also, I mean, I, I think this was something that most people understood as well. There was a small little FAQ in the Demons FAQ, um, which is, is a good clarification, but um, generally speaking, Smite um, is not a it's generally not considered an attack if I remember correctly, because it doesn't Correct. have a, it doesn't have a hit roll. Um, and you have to have a hit roll of some kind to be considered an attack. Um, so they had a clarification in there just to be super clear that nurglings don't have the ab ability to um, uh, basically use their, what is it? Their, their disgusting, disgusting resilience or whatever. Yeah, against smites of one damage, um, and that's kind of like with Rubric Marines or what or other stuff where if it had a damage characteristic of D three, but you roll a one, kind of in the same way. Yeah, it doesn't count, um, and it's the same way with smite here in that not only is it not it doesn't have a damage characteristic of one uh, because it's D three damage first of all. Um, on top of that, it's it doesn't even count as an attack because smite doesn't roll to hit. So yeah. Uh, but kudos to GW for going that extra mile there and clarifying that. So, okay, uh, moving along here, we've got some updates that have been made from, or some some previews that have that have been released. Um, <clears throat> Mike, wh where do you want to start on this? Uh, they've they've obviously like hammered home how much is changing with Death Guard. Uh, maybe. What do you think, looking at Death Guard and all the updates that are out there, I think there's a lot of folks that have actually seen all the, all the announcements on Warhammer Community. Um, what do you think this is telling us about Thousand Suns? So, um, uh, again, we, we've known Mortarian is getting buffs in good ways, not just like, <laughs> he hits harder and does more damage, but things that make him stand out as a primark of his legion i'm so i think that's a good sign for people who love to bring magnus is that he'll likely get similar treatment uh the other thing that they've definitely gone out of their way to do uh with this for more generic units so like the chaos lord uh, chaos sorcerer and um even stuff that's built into the codex is they bring it all in line and have a sort of a more unified theme so like generic chaos lords are now getting toughness five baked into their uh sheet whenever they're a death guard chaos lord uh previously they shared the same profile as their uh black legion counterparts so that that's a a good sign mostly in that it, indicates that the Games Workshop seems to be actually taking the time to sort of 
make these sort of little extra logical steps to provide a more unified codex. Because, for instance, why would you ever take a chaos sword or sorcerer that doesn't benefit from the legion trait? Um, the other things we've perhaps more warlord traits, uh, just more examples of what additional contagions uh, they're going to be getting, uh, which I actually, uh, <laughs> actually I don't know if I necessarily like the second one, but the death guard and the ability if they have these to ignore movement uh, penalties, well, they also have the ability to throw them out willy-nilly whenever their uh, warlord is nearby, um, which is very good. Uh, and the other thing is allowing units to actually sort of do what they're thematically supposed to do, um, mostly looking at the Death Shroud Terminators and the uh, Blight Drones. So now these units have the ability to just mow through lesser infantry like it's not even there if they so choose. And um, I, I think that the, the, the reason why that's important is that if we go through these cycles of people bringing nothing but elite units and then people bringing hordes. And so like the Death Shroud Terminators, they're great fighting other elite units they've got good saves they're tough they've got fantastic damage to weapons but they sort of like every other terminator in the game sort of flounder whenever you drown them in a squad of 30 boys or 20 zangors or any other type of horde unit well now like so for instance they've modified the profile on the the sites or on the bite drones, they now there's a reason to actually take the flesh mower because it gives the uh, bite drone 12 attacks at good strength, AP, and damage. Uh, and that's a sign that the Games Workshop is taking the time to actually step back and actually think about okay, what do we want this model to do on the table, and then providing it with rules that actually benefit us. So, for instance, we have our own special Terminator variants that they're very good at the moment for like what they are, but they've always sort of hit like a limp noodle in close combat. I'm, I'm sure you, yeah, everyone can agree that a power sword on a Terminator just doesn't really cut it anymore. Uh, and so I'm hoping that they adjust those weapons. Uh, the various Zengor units at the moment, they, uh, they need some, they need help as much as I, I hate goats. Uh, uh, there, that is not a popular opinion for a lot of people. <laughs> Go, and, but those units, they, they've been left behind. They, their points have been increased because they're so ubiquitous, and then they don't benefit from our great cults rules. They just are in a very bad position. Uh, all, all three units uh, of them, the Enlightened, the uh, Sorcerer Goat, and the uh, regular Zengors. Um, and I, I think that that's going to... Uh, 
change once our codex comes by, if the Death Guard codex is any indication. And they also have included a, uh, well, previews of new Crusade rules, which I like Crusade. I think it's honestly probably the best thing about Ninth Edition is that they finally introduced the Crusade rules mm-hmm. again. Uh, so looking at this, it's like, well, they get all these nice things. I want those nice things, but it, just in the spirit of Zine, she fills me with a sense of hope that things might turn around. Yeah, they. Uh, I, th- I think definitely looking at the fact that with Mortarian, they definitely gave a lot more. F- I mean, you're already paying what, like 500 points or more for the for the model. It's a prime, so it's 25% of your army right out of the bat that's invested in one model. I think at the end of the day, you should have a lot more flexibility than, well, he can't take this warlord trait or he can't take this warlord trait. I really like the fact that, you know, they gave him different options there. And thinking about Magnus, I think that would help him quite a lot. Um, The fact that we can now put him into outflank is great. But if you were to say, you know, let's say you can give Magnus, say, the Aether Stride uh, Warlord trait. All of a sudden, he becomes way more interesting in the fact that he can warp time, he can advance once, uh, which, yeah. So one of the things we didn't mention, by the way, Mike, <laughs> in all the errata, the fact that they changed it now so that you can only advance once with warp time now. Um, there is, uh, I have to give George... Um, some credit here. Uh, he and I were talking and he, uh, George Bobkoff was mentioning that, um, the advance, the way they eroded, uh, advancing, uh, you can't actually advance during warp time now in an out of sequence move, which is what warp time is. Uh, so in essence you can, during your normal movement phase, you can move and advance, but if you warp time, you no longer can advance during warp time. So with something like Magnus, um, you know, he becomes really, really interesting if he can advance and charge. And I think Aetherstride even lets you reroll that charge roll as well, mm-hmm. uh, which would be amazing on Magnus. So that's like, what, 32 plus 6. So you're talking a maximum of 38-inch range on a smaller board now with Magnus where he can just fly across the table and go to work you all of a sudden actually have an incentive of some kind to put him on, to start him on the battlefield turn one uh, and take that risk of, Hey, maybe I can, um, maybe I can get that first turn and get him across the board and and just let him go to town. Yeah. So um, I really like that. They've kind of doubled down on um, kind of what the units, like you were saying, what the units should be doing um, thematically on the board. Maybe that means, you know, from Zangor's, maybe they get a little bit more damage output, uh, or maybe they hit a little bit better. I don't think they go the toughness route or making them more durable because they're already pretty, even with a five up, they're T4, they're basically a space marine profile, less the armor save because they only have the five up invul. So you're guaranteed at least a five up save. I think I would like to see them have a regular four up save at the current cost that they're at right now. Uh, but, and then tack on some better, some better output for them. But um, you know, I, I definitely think there needs to be more synergy with stratagems, psychic powers, great cults, whatever, something to be able to say, Hey, my rubric Marines work in concert with my Zangors and the army actually functions properly. Not, you know, here are my troops. 
here are my elites, here are my heavy support, and each works as like its own independent army. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, the, the depth of the rules for things like their contagions, uh, all the different um, uh, abilities that they have that apply on the table, I, I really like the depth that they've gone with Death Guard. And I hope that they're going to do the same thing with Thousand Sons. I'm still very worried that there's no... Um, there's no sign that GW is really going to fill out the rest of the army right now. It's still kind of like, you know, the, the likelihood of where my expectations are is they're going to give us a good codex, but no more options, right? We're not going to get any new units. We're not going to get any new models or anything like that to fill out roles such as like fast attack or, you know, maybe even flyers or things like that, or even some, maybe some, some better versatility in the heavy support roles um, to, to make it so that the army actually can like, Hey, I've got plenty of options here to choose from for fast attack, not just one unit and that's it or two units. So I think that's kind of the hope I get looking at this is that there's a little bit of encouragement that, you know, that might happen, but I'm not ready to change my expectations there yet. So, yeah. Well, Mike, I, you know, we, we had at the end of 2020, we had recorded a, um, a couple podcasts that have since been lost to the warp, unfortunately. Uh, and guys, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, we had uh, traditionally been trying to put our podcast into Discord. Uh, if you haven't found us yet, we do have a Discord server and you, and you can find us on Reddit uh, under the Thousand Suns Reddit. There is a clear link to join it. Um, what we've been trying to do is basically do our podcasts live for you guys so you can listen to them live. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll always put the recorded version up here. Unfortunately, the mechanisms we've been using lately have not been working out for us, uh, where the, the podcast we recorded at the end, uh, I think we did about a two hour podcast and the whole thing is just lost to the warp. So unfortunately this week, uh, we've gone back to some of our backup mechanisms just to make sure that, you know, this time isn't lost. We obviously take the time to, to record these and, you know, get together and go through all this stuff. Um, so we want to make sure that that gets to you guys, but in the long run here, we're, we're definitely going to find a mechanism here where we can, we can at least record these things live, uh, get you guys interacting with us and make it a little bit more, um, uh, interesting than just a, a pre-recorded, uh, podcast here. So, um, that being said, uh, in that, in those episodes, one of the things I wanted to kind of rehash just real quick with you, Mike, um, from last year, I was really curious, uh, about what you thought kind of like the best list of 2020 from a thousand suns, or even let's actually go back one more step. So we're saying goodbye to eighth edition last year, and we're now in ninth edition. And the one thing I was thinking about was what was the best Thousand Suns list that we saw in 8th edition? And so I'll give you a little bit of a like a teaser from my standpoint. And I thought about this a little bit. Um, I think the best one that we saw was actually the Magnus Mortarian list. Uh, I, I know that that sounds like, hey, that's not pure Thousand Suns. I'm not talking pure Thousand Suns. I'm talking the, the list that we saw Thousand Suns players actually running during 8th edition that they were doing well. I think that was the list that probably had the, the highest uh, the highest potential that was out there. What's your take? Um, so I, I recall seeing the Magnus Portarian list for a good long while. People kept on sort of coming back to it as sort of a mainstay. Um, however, I think the best list that 
we wound up seeing towards the end of eighth is in my opinion and this is a high skill redonkulous list you have to be a big brain just prescient to use it correctly in a lot of ways is the msu rubric lists the ones that you just sort of you gave up on trying to actually uh, beat your play the same game as your opponent uh, you sort of tooled around, you took objectives, uh, you spread out like hidden terrain. Um, but in regards to really playing to what Thousand Sons were good at at, that, at the time, I, I thought that that was ingenious in a lot of ways. So you're talking kudos to Matt, Matt Ali and his, and his multiple tournament wins that he had with that list. Yeah, uh, I, think you know, that, we were, I think we were all cheering for him from the peanut gallery on that one. Yeah, that was a, a very excellent use of uh, what Thousand Suns have. Um, I, I think going into ninth, uh, some of that has gone away with how missions are being done now. But uh, well, it's sad because we never really got to see the ritual of the dam stuff really take take hold in yeah. eighth edition um, because ninth ninth came literally right on the heels of the last book of the psychic awakening series and the ritual of the dam was what second to last and that whole list that came out. So we got a bunch of really good stuff, but then we really only had what a month or two months to use it. And then, well, you know, we're into a whole new edition now. So, well, Mike, with that, uh, is there anything you want to add before we sign off here? Well, going back to our charge discussion earlier, I busted out a calculator and, uh, turns out you only need to be within within seven inches if the building is only five inches tall. So it's just going to throw that out there. Uh, but, uh, um, I, I mean, I don't think I'm forgetting anything. Well, I was doing some math hammer on some stuff. I found this really cool. Um, uh, when, it, when I plugged in uh, 999, I found out the answer was Magnus did nothing wrong. Well, I mean, so, obviously, I'll... I'll properly calibrated uh, machine spirits will always return back Magnus, nothing wrong yep. with the numbers 999. Yep. yep. So at least we know that's working correctly then. Yes, of course. Point. So, Alright, with that, we will see you guys next time. Yep. Bye. <laughs>